Welcome to the Emmanuel Church Podcast. Here at Emmanuel Church, we believe that God wants to meet us where we're at. So whether you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can listen to the message from our Sunday worship experience. We would love for you to stay connected with us by visiting our website at myemmanuelchurch.com or at any social media platform at myemmanuelchurch. We hope you enjoy this message. church. If you are returning or visiting or are you here and you're, you're at home, well, just welcome today. I hope you feel welcome today. I've already said welcome like 10 times, so I hope you feel welcome today. I'm glad you are here. If you are joining us today, we are in the middle of a series called The Heart of God, and um, this is uh, the week three of the Heart of God series, and we've been talking about uh, how who, who, how, how can we know God's heart? Who is God's heart for? And if you want to catch up, just you can look us up on our uh, podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on everywhere, on Spotify and everything, and even on YouTube. Uh, so uh, it, it's so important. But I'm glad you're here today uh, to be able to hear. Because I feel like today I have an important message to share with you today. And the title of my message this morning is God Loves the People We Hate. God Loves the People We Hate. Now, you know, I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that, where you ever had a friend who was friends with someone you didn't like? (laughs) And those kind of things are are interesting situations because you don't want them to be friends. Like, you're my friend, not their friend. You can't be friends with them. You know, we have those those kind of petty things. And, and there's there's a lot of things in life. There's there's things we don't like, but there's people we don't like. Sometimes we don't like to say we hate people. It's like, well, I just don't like them very much. You know, but in truth, we have stronger feelings towards them, but we really won't say that. And there's a lot behind what it means to, to hate everything. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. But before we get into that, I'm going to talk about the story of a man in the Bible named Jonah. I'm going to talk about Jonah. And if you don't know Jonah, you're about to learn a little bit about him today. I learned, I learned about him while I was studying for this message. And Jonah is found in the, New, in the Old Testament. I'm about to put it in the wrong, book, wrong place in the Bible. Jonah is found in the Old Testament. He is a he is a prophet. He's a man of God. We look at prophets in the Bible, and they're usually respected. We we like these people. They're powerful. They're charismatic. They're uh, some of them are very sarcastic. One of my favorite prophets in the Bible is Elijah, and he's a very sarcastic person. Every time we see him, he's always saying something sarcastic to the kings and queens of Israel. Uh, you know, he was challenging some other prophets of false gods, and he's like, "Well, maybe your god's just sleeping." Wake him up. And so the prophets are interesting people. They have all kinds of things going on in their lives. They usually speak to the people of God from God, his word to his people, so that they can know what is going on. What does God expect of them? But Jonah, Jonah only appears in two places in the Bible. He appears in the book by which his name, which is his namesake, book of Jonah, uh, not everyone, not scholars aren't sure if he wrote it or someone else wrote it to tell his story. But Jonah appears there, but he also appears another time in the, in the books of Kings. And he is, he appears in the story of the book of Kings prophesying to a king of Israel, telling him that he will overcome all of his enemies. 
And that sounds like a good thing. You know, we like God to tell us that we're going to win. You know, we like to win. Who doesn't like to win? We hate to lose. You know, I think everybody is slightly competitive. You know, some more than others. Uh, but, but he tells this to the king of Israel. But then another prophet steps in, a prophet by the name of Amos, and he tells the king, that man is not telling the truth. In fact, because of how wicked you are, your enemies will defeat you. And so already we should be a little bit suspicious of Jonah because it doesn't seem like he has God's interests at heart. His heart is not for God's heart. His story, in fact, shows us that. And I, it's a very short book. The book of Jonah is four chapters long, and each of them are not very long at all. But, let, but I'm going to read to you the, the last chapter. But before we get there, let's get the background. Jonah is called by God. He receives the word of God, and he says, I need you to go to the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire at the time. And it was an enemy of the people of Israel. And so he told Jonah, I want you to go to preach to them because their sin has reached me. Their wrongdoing has been so bad, I need to do something about it. So I'm sending you. So Jonah, as a prophet, we expect him to listen to God and to go speak to these people. But instead, Jonah runs away. Jonah runs away. You know, and I, I, I've read this story throughout my life, and I've heard this story throughout my life in various different forms. I've watched a VeggieTales version of it, if you know what VeggieTales is. Uh, um, it's funny, but there, there's so many different ways that I've heard about this story. We often picture Jonah as maybe he's afraid that, you know, of what God is doing. He doesn't want to go speak to the city because it's a big, big city. He's just scared or, or he's not sure of himself. And we think of all these things and I've heard countless sermons about this, but that's not the truth behind why Jonah runs away. He runs away. And before we get to that, he runs away and he tries to go as far away as possible from Nineveh as he can get. So he gets on a boat and in the boat, while he's on the boat, he's taking a nap. And then a storm happens and the people that are in charge of this boat, the captain and whoever the crew, they realize that there is something spiritual going on. This isn't a normal storm. It seems concentrated on them. It seems like it came out of nowhere. They they didn't see the signs or nothing. And they're like, there's something happening that's here that, that is the God's doing. And so they cast some lots and they figure, oh, you know what? This is Jonah's fault. He knows what's going on. And so Jonah, Jonah's like, yeah, yeah, it's me. I serve the God who created the land and the sea. Which is ironic because he's running away from God, yet he thinks he can somehow run away from God who made the land and the sea. No matter where he goes, God's going to find him. And so he's running away and he tells them, yes, I'm running away from God because I've been called to do something and I don't want to do it. And so they're like, well, what do we do? throw me in the water and they're like that's not a good idea we don't want to kill you we don't know you and we just don't want to kill a random person you know you will die and so they decide to to try and row back to land it doesn't work and they're stuck out there and so they're like i guess we have no choice this man says we have to do this so we do and so they threw him overboard but then they made sacrifices and they're like god please forgive us for throwing this man to his death But then Jonah 
And, and, and as crazy as the story is, it gets even crazier. Jonah is swallowed by a giant fish, the Bible tells us. And that's weird. You know, that doesn't happen. He, he should be dead, but he's not. And in the belly of this fish, Jonah prays to God. And it's interesting because I, I had always been under the impression that in this story, when he is in the of this fish, that he is praying to God and he is asking for forgiveness. I read that chapter a couple of times. That's in chapter 2, the prayer that he tells to God. And nowhere in there is he ever asking for forgiveness. He says, thank you, God, for saving my life. And that's it. He doesn't say, I'm sorry for, for running away. I, I, he doesn't say, I'm going to do it now. Instead, God has the fish spit him out three days later next to Nineveh. And he's like, you are going to go and talk to the people of Nineveh. That's what you're going to do. I asked you to do it, and now you're going to do it. So Jonah now reluctantly is in the city. And he sets up the people of Nineveh to fail. He sets up the people of Nineveh to fail. He goes in there, doesn't give them any context, and he says, in 40 days, the city of Nineveh will be turned over. That's all he tells them. That is all he tells them. And yet, even though the people who are hearing him have no idea what is happening, they they hear his message, they recognize that he is supposed to be a man of God, and they change everything. It says every person in the city, the king declared, needed to start fasting, they needed to tear their clothes, they needed to make sacrifices, they needed to turn to God, because the king said, perhaps if we do this, then God will spare us destruction. It went so far as to say is that even the king even asked that the cows and the animals not, not eat either. They were fasting. He put the cows on a diet. And that's what he wanted them. He said, the cows and the animals, they're not going to eat either. Everyone's fasting. This is how dire the situation was that the king felt that this was necessary. And so God forgave the people of Nineveh. And this is where we want to read. This is where I want to read to you the the. The, the rest of the story. In Jonah chapter 4 verse 1 to 11. It says like this. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said Lord. When I was still at home. This is what I tried to forestall. By fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God. Slow to anger. And abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. So, pause right there. Jonah now gives us the reason why he ran away. He says, I ran away, God, because I knew. He he talks to God like he's insulting him and says, I knew that you are merciful. I knew that you're loving. See, this is what I didn't want. It doesn't make any sense. And Jonah is angry at God for loving people. He, he hates this. He says, this is exactly why I ran away. I didn't want you to forgive them. I wanted you to hate them like I hate them. God replies in verse 4, he says, but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat 
down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited what would happen to see what would happen for the city. He was still hoping that they would be destroyed. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. The story is so weird, which chewed the plant so that it was withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry that I wish I was dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. This story ends with God's word to Jonah. It doesn't tell us his response. We don't see what Jonah then speaks to God or his response to God. We don't see what Jonah does after this. Does he write this book? Is he telling his story now to show people how angry he was or how justified he was? Or did he write this book to tell us his story that he came to repentance? We don't know. But it ends in God's words to us. Asking us a question. Why are you hating the people that I am showing love to? Why are you hating the people that I'm showing love to? So we're going to get a little deeper into that. But I want to look at first, why do we hate in the first place? There can be a lot of reasons. You know, maybe someone did something to you. They didn't like your outfit. And so you're like, I'm going to throw shade at them for the rest of their life. You know, uh, they didn't like my Instagram post. No, I don't know. You know, dumb stuff. Sometimes we don't like people for dumb things. There are small issues that turn into something bigger and that we, we just don't like them. There could be a multitude of reasons why we don't like people. There could be reasons why we hate people. Sometimes we're, we feel justified in that because people have hurt us. We've been hurt. Or we've been wronged and we feel like I deserve to be able to hate that person. And that's definitely a reason. Hurt and pain, these, these things are reasons for us to feel hate for, for other people. You know? Uh, I, 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 I recall a comedian, he was, he was saying, he's like, I never, I never understood how someone could kill another person. And then he's like, and then I got cheated on. And then I was like, oh, okay. I'm not going to do it, but yeah, I see it now. You know, like he saw and understand like those things. Pain causes a very real reason for us to hate people. And it can be pain that is in our lives that has caused us to hate others. It can be pain that we are experiencing, maybe not even our own pain. Maybe we're angry because someone close to us was hurt and we now hate that person too. You know, you ever, ever have a friend that tells you, you have to hate the people that I hate. This is how it works. We're best friends. You hate the people that I hate. That's life. I mean, that, that's not, no, that shouldn't work that way, but it does. So pain is one of the reasons why we hate. Another reason we hate people is prejudice. And prejudice is a, a preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or experience. It has no base to it. Yet, for some reason, we decide that because of the color of their skin or where they come from or how they talk or how they dress, that these people are worthy of being hated. We are often taught prejudice. 
And it can be in little ways. Sometimes we don't even know it. We make a, a joke that is racist and we're like, oh, you know, but it's just a joke. But we've grown up all our lives hearing about things like that. We, 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 we're told to avoid certain groups of people or, or, or uh, and sometimes we don't even know it. Sometimes there are people, and I've seen it before, that they don't know they're being racist and they are. They think they're having fun. You know, when they make fun of someone's accent or try to imitate an accent, they're like, oh, it's funny. No, you think that that's okay, and we think that that's okay, but we have these prejudices that tell us these people are bad or they're wrong or they should be like us, but they're not. So because they're not like me, I don't like them. Prejudice is a reason that we hate. There's Another reason why we hate people is because we think we have to. Sometimes we, it, that's what it is, you know. Like, if you have a, a favorite sports team, you, you immediately every other sports team is your enemy. You know, I have to hate the other teams, you know, because I want my team to win. I mean, in reality, that doesn't make logical sense. You can still like other teams and think other teams are good or there are good players and good athletes. And you could just be happy for the sport to have such talent in it. But no, a lot of times we're just like, well, forget all that. I just hate them because they're not my team. And so we root for our teams and we, we, have, we think we create this mentality of us versus them. And a lot of times this happens in the church and we do it too. If you are not in the church, you are not like me. If you are not a Christian, that means I don't like you. Or it can go even deeper than that, and it can be Christians ourselves that, well, I don't like you because you're Baptist, or you're Catholic, or you're this, or you're that. And we create these divisions amongst ourselves and say, because you are not like me, I don't like you. And we think that we have to. This can even happen uh, on a national level. We can say, like, I I love America, and because I love America, that means I don't like anyone that's not American. And it happens. And and it can be subtle. It can be very subtle. And these things can slip into a a level of hatred that we don't even realize what we're doing when we create this us-versus-them mentality. And then immediately, if someone criticizes you for the thing that you like or for the thing that you are, for the country that you live in, even if they're on your side, now they're part of them. And we hate them too. It's not that they have genuine concerns about how things could be better. No, no, that's not what they, they, they're just hating. Now they're the haters, but we hate them. Another reason why we hate people is because we're projecting. If you don't know what that is, projecting, like the projectors up here are projecting something that we put on another computer. We do that to people. There are things that are in our lives that we look at uh, other people and we project ourselves onto them. And so the bad qualities of other people, we don't like that oftentimes because they're the same bad qualities we have in ourselves. Or we're afraid of something that they have that we don't. And so we project ourselves onto them and say, well, I can't be that way. So I don't want them to even be near me. Sometimes we we do that because we're afraid of who we are. We've seen our past and we know our past. And yet we come to Jesus and Jesus changes us. God changes us. And so we see other people living how we used to live. And we're like, well, that's not right. And we get angry at them 
Because we are afraid of what we were. And we don't want to be that again. And so we want, we, it, it might start off in a right way. We might think, oh, you, you know, this is, I'm doing it because I want them to know Jesus. But that, but that can get, if it's taken to a point of extremity, that becomes a hatred to those people because they are doing the things that you used to do. We're afraid of what we, we were or we might become that again. Sometimes we project and we hate people because we're afraid of what we might lose. You know, I think that's a big, you know, a, a big argument you hear all the time that doesn't make any logical sense. And I'm not trying to get political here, but you always hear the, the thing, well, immigrants are going to take all our jobs. No, no, they're not. But we're afraid that we might lose them. So we project fear on them. We project hatred on them because we're afraid of losing something that we have. And it might not even be immigrants. It could be somebody else at your job. You're like, man, they're just so good at their job. And we hate them because they th- we think that they're going to take our place. We hate them because we think that they're going to push us out. And, and because of that, we project our fear onto them. Or we project on, on other people, project hate on other people because we are not sure of ourselves. We're not sure of who we are. We've been told that we're children of God. We've been told that we come to Jesus and that he has forgiven us. But we don't know if we really believe that. We don't know if God really does love us like he says he loves us. I mean, they say that all the time. They tell me all the time, Jesus loves you, but do I believe it? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't really know. Is that, is that true? And so anybody else that is not part of that group that says that Jesus loves you is now someone else that should be hated because you hate yourself. You're not even sure how God can love us. Hatred can, can, can take us to a place. You know, they say in Star Wars, hate, hatred is a path to the dark side. And this, this, this is true. It, it takes us to a very dark place where we might even think that we're following Jesus and we might think that we're following the heart of God and we're loving people like we're supposed to. But really, all of our projection that we think is love is actually hatred. We tell people, well, I'm just getting on to them because, you know, the Bible says he disciplines those he loves. That verse is true, but it applies more to the church than it does to people who don't know him. And so we want to discipline people that are outside the church and we want to hate on people and we think we're loving them, but we're really hating them. And the Apostle Paul gets on to us and says, what business is of you, is it of yours to judge those that are outside the church? They don't know God. You want them to know God, it's not going to do you any good for you to be wagging your finger at them. Shame on you. Shame on you. We project if anybody has tried to ever shame you into anything, does that work? No. I had a conversation about this recently. <laughs> it doesn't really work. It may work for a short period of time, but it doesn't, it's not the right motivation. So it eventually falls off because you feel that shame and it pushes you down and it stops you from doing what you should do. We cannot do that to other people. Hatred, expressing hatred to people. We might not even think it's hatred, but we express this dislike. We express this fear. All of these things will lead other people to seeing hate and not love. They see hate and not love. And that's why people are afraid of the church. That's why people don't want to go to church. Because they see people that call themselves Christians stand up and talk about how much they, are hate, they hate the person that they're talking to. 
And they think they're doing right, but we're doing wrong. Jonah is a picture of us in this. Jonah hated the Ninevites because they were his enemies. He hated them and he was angry and even probably hated God in these moments because he was angry that God would show love to these people because he felt that they deserved destruction. And when we hate people, that's what we feel that they deserve. That's why there are so many people that will preach the gospel, which is supposed to be good news, and they're telling people you're going to hell instead of telling them that Jesus loves you. God is not telling us to preach destruction. And that's really interesting because the, the word that God told, the word that God told Jonah to tell the Ninevites, he told them that God would, uh, that he would overturn the city. And the funny thing about that word is that word overturn can mean destruction or it can mean completely change. It was a self-fulfilling prophecy in that he told the people of Nineveh that you will be overturned and they were destruction but they they did it themselves they turned themselves around by giving themselves over to God God loved those people so much that he wanted to give them a chance where Jonah thought he was setting them up for failure God was setting them up for for victory because God doesn't want people to die he doesn't want people to be lost. In fact, in the book, one of the books of, one of the letters of Peter, he tells us God wishes that all be saved. He wants every single person on this planet to know Him. He wants people to know Him, and that includes the people we don't like. This book was written the way it was because it wants to get, ask us a question. It's almost written like satire. People in the story do something you're, you're expecting them not to do. Jonah is a man of God and you expect him to do what God asks and to love people. But he does the opposite. He hates the Ninevites and runs away. He does the opposite of what we expect him to do. And then we hear about this sinful people, this city that God calls full of sin. And we expect them to ignore Jonah and just go about their business, but instead they do the opposite and they come to God instead. Because they recognize they were given a chance for mercy. And that's what God does. He, he gives everyone a chance for love and for grace and for mercy because that's who he is. The Bible tells us that God is love and that if we don't love, we are living in hate. He says, we think we're living in God. He says, uh, John, John, the apostle John wrote, he says, if you say you love God, but then you hate your brother or sister, then you're a liar. <laughs> like, just outright, he calls us liars. And he says, if you say that you love God, but then you're over here telling people that you hate somebody else, you're a liar. You're lying to yourself, you're lying to God, and you're lying to other people. Because God wants us to love people. See, that's what we're called to do. We are, we, as believers, as someone who comes to Christ, who makes a decision to follow Jesus, we belong to what, what, we, what we term often as an upside-down kingdom. God's kingdom doesn't make any sense when it comes to, to, to anything. We should hate people that have done us wrong, right? That Logically, that makes sense. My logic stands... From just thinking about it, if someone has done me wrong, I should not like them. Common sense. 
If someone persecutes me, I should be angry with them. If they're telling me, you know, I, I should do that. I, I, I'm justified in that. If someone hurts me, I should be justified to, to, to want to see them, you know, to want to see them hurt too. So that they get punished for what they did. Uh, that's just, that's, that's how our world works. It works on a system of logic that says, this makes sense. If you have done wrong, then you should go to jail. If you have done this, then you should face punishment. If you have done this, you, you, you know, you shouldn't have a career. You shouldn't have privileges. You shouldn't have this because you have failed. But God's kingdom doesn't make sense. Matthew 5.44 tells us that, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. God's kingdom is upside down. He says, the people that you call enemies, the people that try and are trying to bring you down, pray for them. Love them. It's completely opposite. And it's anti-logical. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so hard for us to, to, to try and believe God for this. We can believe that God loves us somehow, some way, but we can't believe that he loves everyone. But he does. He exemplified this. Jesus, who said this, exemplified this himself as he was on the cross. The people who were nailing him to the cross, putting him up there on the cross, he asked God, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what is going on here I ask God, forgive them. He prayed for them. The people who were killing him, the people who were putting him to death, he said, they don't know. I want them to be protected from this sin against them. We feel like we, shouldn't, we should be able to not forgive people. That forgiveness is deserved, earned by people that we love because there are people that love us and people, you know, even the people that love you wrong you from time to time. And you can't say that you've never been angry at your best friend. You've never been angry at a spouse. You've never, they've never done anything to hurt you. It's the truth. They have, you know, but we feel that they deserve forgiveness because we love them because we care for them. But the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter six, verses 14 to 15, Jesus was teaching people how to pray. He says, if you forgive other people then they, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. He tells them, it doesn't matter whether you like the person or not. He's telling us, right here, you need to forgive those, even those who have sinned against you, who have wronged you, who have hurt you. Forgiveness is not deserved because of the position that they are close to you. Forgiveness is earned because of who they are. The, the fact that they are a human being created in the image of God. And even if they don't accept that forgiveness, they are still deserving of it. Because God loves those we hate. This is, this is so... Uh, this doesn't make any sense to us. And it's hard for us to, to imagine this. It's hard for us to imagine that God would love a murderer, that God would love a terrorist, that God would love hateful people, but he does. And through the history of the church, the church has often been the, uh, a driving force in genocide and other things, uh, and these are dark parts of the church's history, but God still loved the church. And in fact, he loved the ones that they were killing and saying that they, they didn't deserve to live because they didn't want to come to know Jesus. And of course they didn't want to know Jesus. They had a sword put to their throats or a gun put to their head and say, you need to know Jesus right now. 
if this is the Jesus that you're talking about, I don't think I want to know him. A Jesus that would allow this to happen. Because the church gets it wrong. We think, we, we cannot allow ourselves, uh, we cannot allow ourselves to be an engine of hate. We cannot allow ourselves to be an organization that tells other people because of who they are or what they believe or what they look like that they don't deserve to be loved. But that's what we do. Hate is irrational. Hate doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter even if people have done anything wrong to you. You can still hate them because you've been taught to. It's sad when I see children grow up in homes and they express this hatred to people of other, of, of other nationalities because that's what, they've been, that's what they've been shown at home. That's what they've been shown at home in subtle ways. And so they express that same thing. They've been taught it. God asks us to love people to be part of this upside down kingdom that doesn't make sense. That's what draws people to God. Because when we express the trueness of the gospel, people will see that and say, but why? Why? I, I need to know about this Jesus who loves me even when I hated him. Who loves me even when other people hated me. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. This story of Jonah was written to give us a mirror. I think the word of God is often like that. It allows us, as we read it, it allows us to look at ourselves. To put ourselves in the stories. To put ourselves in, uh, in the words that are being spoken and written. The experiences that other people have had. Put ourselves in their shoes for a moment and say, God, what is it? I would do in this situation. And we are given a choice. See, Jonah, Jonah doesn't speak the ending of this book. And that's on purpose. God left it open-ended because he wanted to be the one to ask us, look in the mirror right now. I want you to look at, look at this meta, metaphorical mirror. There's no mirror here. I don't have a mirror. Look at this mirror. Look at yourself. Are you willing to hate people that I love? Is that okay with you? Is that okay? Is it okay that I love people that you hate? He wants to know, and regardless, he's going to do it anyway, because God is love. But he asks the question because he needs us to see where we, he needs for us to see where we stand. Because our answer to those questions are going to make us either realize that we are following a God of our own creation that will hate those who we hate. Or the true God who loves those even when we hate them. This is who he is. This is a God that doesn't make sense to the world. This is, this, is, this is a God that doesn't even make sense to modern Christianity. Because there are so many people that will call themselves Christians and they will stand in hatred to people when God is extending his hand of love to them. Because it doesn't matter who they are. He made them in his image. And so because of that, because of the very reason of who he is, he loves them. 
We hope you enjoyed the message today, and we would love to hear the story about how God is using this ministry to change your life. You can share it with us at myemmanuelchurch.com slash mystory. And if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can give online at myemmanuelchurch.com slash give. And if you're in the Houston area, we would love to see you on Sundays at 1130 a.m. Have a blessed week.